way, Father, you'll make a way. Father, there's always a path to victory in you. Father, we thank you. That's who you are. You're not the God who abandons your people, Father. You don't allow us to stay in defeat, in difficulty, in sickness, and disease. Father, wherever we are, you point us to total and complete victory. And then you make a way. You make a path, Father, or sure-footed steps, Father, to arrive at complete and total victory. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. In you, Father, there is complete victory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. And Father, we thank you for your great and mighty word that you've given to us. Father, that reveals you to us. It establishes your will, Father, for our lives. It gives us a, a hint, Father, of the blessings of heaven. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Father, we give you all praise and honor for these things. We thank you for the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. The Lord is good and kind, amen. We thank the Lord for watching over us. We thank the Lord for healing us, causing us to be strong and healthy, amen. Uh, and so, I wanted to start today uh, uh, reading two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, um, and then we'll continue on with uh, Dr. McCrossan's discussion in, 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 these, uh, uh, in these verses here. Uh, and we have talked a lot about these verses already, but back in Isaiah chapter 53, it says in verse 4 that surely he hath borne our griefs. And I like the way he said that, surely. You know, we're not, it's not that we're, you know, some people are like, well, I'm not sure, right? Well, he is sure, right? And this is the prophet speaking about something that wasn't going to happen until hundreds of years later, centuries later. He said, surely this will come to pass. Uh, and so this prophet was a man of great faith, wasn't he? Surely he hath borne our griefs. And it's interesting that in the, in the prophetic world, something that hasn't already happened, that something that hasn't happened yet has already happened as far as he's concerned. Surely he hath done these things, right? Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so let's turn over to, um, and we're going to come back to Isaiah, so if you want to hold your place there, that's fine. But uh, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 8, uh, in verse 17 there. It says, this is after, um, well, let's start in verse 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid, sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. In Luke's version of that, it says, he rebuked the fever, uh, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. So this was an instantaneous healing. It wasn't a progressive healing. It happened immediately. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with the devils, and, with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed how many? All that were sick. So all that came to him left healed. Amen? And that's the general principle that you find in the word of God. Everyone who ever comes to Jesus leaves healed. 
Uh, that doesn't mean Jesus healed everybody that was in the nation of Israel, but everybody that came to Jesus left healed. Everybody that comes to God gets saved. Amen. And so, you know, it, it, you can uh, take that to the bank. Amen. Uh, and so uh, he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, the King James from Isaiah 53, verse 4, says that he carried our sorrows or he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Matthew translated it as he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And he's, uh, Matthew actually translates the Hebrew. Uh, in fact, it was uh, more than likely they were reading from the Septuagint, which we talked about a lot. Uh, but they uh, translated uh, Matthew eight seventeen in the Greek in a better way than they translated the Hebrew in Isaiah 53, 4, uh, in English, right? And, and so uh, Jesus, Jesus, or, Jesus didn't speak in English, and Isaiah didn't speak in English. They spoke in their native languages there. Uh, and so somewhere along the way, somebody else came along and translated this into English, and sometimes they did a better job than others, amen? Um, and I told you a little bit about the, uh, the RSV version, which was translated uh, in the 50s, uh, and how that... Uh, the original premise of the translators was we will translate it uh, in the most accurate way possible, uh, regardless of what it says. Uh, and they got to Isaiah 53, and the most accurate way possible would, would instead of saying griefs and sorrows, should have been uh, sicknesses and infirmities, uh, and, or sicknesses and pains. And they said, well, if we do that, though, if we translate it that, which would be the most accurate translation, the people who believe in divine healing... Uh, it'll just make their case for them. And so we don't want to make their case for them, so we're not going to translate it that way, which is really kind of ridiculous because if that's what it says, then they should have jumped on the bandwagon of the people who believed in divine healing. Uh, and apparently they didn't believe in divine healing, so we're not going to propagate that particular doctrine, which means that they were poor uh, translators, amen, that they came to the Word of God with a preconceived notion and decided what it said before they read what it said. Uh, and of course, much of the church uh, does the same thing, right? God doesn't heal. So they have already decided that it says that before they read what it actually says, that he bore these things for us. Uh, and that is a, a sign of a poor student of the word of God, amen, who already knows the answer before they read the question. Uh, it makes them either really, really smart or really, really dumb. I'll let you decide which one they are, right? Uh, and so just like a teacher asks you a question, you answer the question before she asks the question, uh, then how, how likely are you to get that answer right? right? Uh, and so it's unfortunate, but uh, uh, that's just the way it is. So that's why, that's part of the reason why there are so many English translations of the, of the Bible. There's about 1,500 English translations of the Bible, and they're making new ones every day. I mean, I, I come across them, literally multiple translations a, a, a year, that they're adding to, to our knowledge. And, and I, think that's, I, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't have a problem with it because the Lord inspires people, educated people, uh, with more insight into what he was trying to say originally that they then could put that into words that you and I can read. Uh, because are you going to start today and become a Hebrew expert? You're going to study the Hebrew language and all the verbs and tenses and how they're all put together. You know, Hebrew is written uh, from uh, right to left. So you've got to read it backwards. You know, when they open up their Bible, they start at the back. That's the first page is the last page of our Bible. And they read it right to left. Uh, and so 
I guess they didn't get the memo that that's completely backwards, right? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but that's the way it is. And some, some languages are read top to bottom. You know, some of the Oriental languages are read top to bottom. Uh, and I don't know how those folks get by in life at all. But um, uh, no, there's no, no right, word, right way to do it. Uh, but we're thankful for what we have. Amen. And so uh, my observation is I will read multiple translations of any particular verse because... Uh, you get more insight that way uh, into these things. And so I'm not beholden to anyone. Some people ask me, what's my favorite translation? I don't have one because I've not found any perfect translation. So uh, there are some that I, I will tend to use more than others, but um, I couldn't tell you what my favorite translation is. And so, uh, so that's, uh, that's Isaiah 53 and 4. And um, he was talking about this. Dr. McCrossin has been talking about these particular verses here. Uh, and he mentions that uh, one commentator said that uh, Matthew uh, translated this faithfully uh, from Isaiah, that when Matthew uh, quoted that, that he actually quoted it correctly. Uh, and so, but then he brings out the point back uh, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, about the word born and carried. Uh, and he says here that, uh, that the... Uh, that these words here in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, uh, about, being, about bearing our sickness and carrying our, uh, well, he says, uh, bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows in the King James Version of that, that uh, he also uh, uses these same words are found in Isaiah 53 later on in the same chapter uh, in um, uh, verses 11 and 12. And, and this is important because uh, when you're studying these things, and I do this a lot, when I'm studying a, a concept or an idea in the scriptures, uh, maybe it's faith or love or whatever the concept is, I'll go in and try and find every verse where that's used. Uh, because what you find is if you read that word in the context of all the words around it, you get a better understanding of why the Lord wanted to use that particular word. Uh, and so that's, and that's helpful in this case as well, uh, looking at the word born and carried in Isaiah 53 and 4. Let's find out what it says in uh, verses 11 and 12, also in Isaiah 53. Uh, and it says um, in verse uh, 12 or verse 11, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul. So this is all of Isaiah 53 or most of Isaiah 53 is prophesying about the Lord Jesus when he comes. Uh, and it says, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So uh, the one who's travailing is Jesus, and the one that's being satisfied is the Father God. So the, the Father God knew that Jesus was going to experience these things, and, and he's not satisfied in the sense of, I'm glad that this is happening. He's being satisfied that his justice is being satisfied, that uh, if Jesus didn't do these things for us, then we would have to travail in our souls. Uh, and we would never find an end to that travailing. So uh, he was satisfied because knowing that Jesus would be our substitute for this travailing, then it's to our advantage that Jesus did these things. And so he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteousness servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, and so uh, in, in Isaiah 53, 4, it says that he shall bear our griefs. But now he's also, which is really, in that case, sicknesses. But now he's saying he not only bore our sicknesses in verse 4, but
but he's bearing our iniquities uh, in um, uh, verse 11. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, and, and that there is prophesying about the cross, right? That he was crucified, and there were two thieves on the crosses uh, next to him. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Uh, and so here he's bearing our iniquities and bearing our, our sins. Uh, and in this case, uh, even though it's the same word bear and bear in verse 11 and verse 12, uh, it's really uh, translated from verse 4 uh, as carried uh, and born. Uh, and so they're kind of backwards in verses 11 and 12. The point of that is uh, he carried sicknesses and diseases in verse 4, and he's carrying sicknesses uh, or he's carrying sins in verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> and so, uh, so the whole point of that. Uh, is um, that whatever he did for our sins is also the exact same thing that he did for our sicknesses. Uh, and one of the points that, that was brought out here is it's not just to carry them away like in a bucket, right? So he didn't carry our sins in a bucket. He didn't carry, just carry our sicknesses in a bucket. Uh, it's also that he endured those same things uh, in, in addition to carrying them away he carried them away by bearing them himself and, and also by enduring those things. So uh, I know we know the verse there in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. So Jesus just didn't carry our sins. He became sin for us. So he was completely consumed by that sin. So he didn't just carry it away in a bucket or wheelbarrow. And as, you know, you've got it now, he put it in a bucket and carried it away from you. No, he took it upon himself uh, and uh, so that he could become the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Now, one translation says of 2 Corinthians 5.21, For him who knew no sin, God struck with the doom of sins on our behalf, that we might be changed into the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, one translation says, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins, then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Uh, and so, so and that's, that's an, a kind of an important understanding of this word, what he says, bore and carried. Uh, it's not just uh, him doing it and removing it from us. He did it uh, and, and endured those things for us. Uh, and it, you have to meditate on that a lot to understand how big of a deal it was what Jesus did on the cross. And I've even talked to some people who, uh, they, uh, you remember on the cross, one of the things that Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So uh, did Jesus say that on the cross? He did, right? And, and that, was a, that was a fulfillment of prophecy from, from Psalm 22 when he quotes that from Psalm 22. Why did Jesus say, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What did the Father do to Jesus when he was on the cross? He forsook him, right? Uh, is that true? Well, that's what he says, right? But there are people that, that when, when, it, when it says that he became sin or that God forsook him, they can't believe that because he's Jesus, right? He, he never made any mistakes, never did anything wrong. So uh, what they'll say is, well, he said that. He said that, my God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? But he didn't actually mean that, right? God didn't actually do that. He just said that. I'm like, well, What's that mean, right? Uh, 
See, this is how weird doctrine gets, you know, they'll say things, well, he said that, but, you know, that, that's not what happened. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm like, well, well, why would he say that, right? You know, I'm going to Walmart, but I'm not actually going to go to Walmart. But I'm going to say I'm going to go to Walmart. Well, if you say you're going to go to Walmart, but you don't actually go to Walmart, isn't that kind of like lying, right? I mean, if you said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But God didn't actually forsake him. Well, then somebody's lying, right? Either God didn't actually, you know, he didn't really mean it when he said he was going to forsake him. Or, you know, uh, Jesus lied about it, right? So somebody's lying somewhere. If it didn't happen, somebody's lying somewhere. Uh, well, did, did God or Jesus lie? Nobody lied. Uh, what happened? God actually forsook Jesus, right? Nobody lied. Jesus actually became sin. So he didn't just carry his sins away. He became and, and was transformed into sin. Uh, and yet it says he, he, he who was without sin, right? He, he didn't commit any sins, but he became sin. What's that look like? I don't know, but it can't have been pretty. Amen. But part of the reason why he had to do that is because when he died physically on the cross, right? When he physically died on the cross, then he had to suffer in hell for three days. Now, if he had not become sin when he died, what would he have looked like in the realm of the spirit? He would have looked like Jesus. You think any of the devils would have tried to grab Jesus and throw him into hell? No way. They all were terrified of him, right? And so there's no way that they would have touched him with a 10-foot pole. But when he died spiritually and moved and migrated, separated his spirit from his body in the realm of the spirit, he looked just like sin. Well, where do people who look just like sin go when they die? They go to hell. They go to the place of the, of the damned, the place of torment. Uh, and, and so it was necessary for that to happen to Jesus, not that he just carried our sins away, but that he became that <clears throat> so that when he died, the enemy of mankind w- would consider that an opportunity to take him into the place of the damned and, and torment him for, for, three, for three days, which <clears throat> doesn't sound very long, but I can guarantee anybody who's been in hell for 30 seconds or less uh, wants to get out, amen? <clears throat> and so, so uh, these words about uh, bearing our sicknesses and bearing our iniquities, it's important to know that it, w- it was not just him carrying them away in a container of some kind, that he became these things, right? He experienced these things, uh, that uh, he endured these things for himself, right? And you think from the standpoint of sickness, he endured all the sicknesses there on the cross. Well, how how that happened? I don't know. Uh, the same way, how did, how did he become sin? I don't know. Uh, but that's what the Word of God says. So uh, it, it, it was a... Uh, the, the bigness and the size of the crucifixion and what actually happened is probably more than we'll ever even grasp in this lifetime. Uh, you know, think, well, he died, you know, and according, according to the, you know, the, the Catholic crucifixes, he's got little drops of blood, you know, coming out of, uh, out of a wound on his side there, and he's got this thorn, and he looks kind of sad but also effeminate, you know, at the same time. Uh, but, you know, uh, it wasn't really that bad. I mean, no, it was, it was horrendous, right? It was beyond imagination. Uh, what he actually suffered and endured for us. And I'm, and I'm thankful that's, that's also one of the other reasons why he had to have a body that did, did not contain the sin nature is so that he was physically capable of, of doing that. Because if it was been your body or my body, we would not have been physically, we would have died long before the end of the trials in the night before the crucifixion and we would have never made it to the cross. Physically, we couldn't have not endured that. So Jesus had to, 
have a body that was well able to carry these things for our benefit so that he could complete the process of the cross on our behalf. And so that wasn't the only reason why he had a body without a sin nature. Of course, the primary reason was that he it could make him qualified to be our substitute. Uh, and so we're thankful that Jesus did these things. Amen. Uh, the, the bigness of, of the cross, uh, it just, uh, we can't imagine, amen? Uh, and it probably will take until we arrive in heaven when we see the magnitude of what he actually accomplished, accomplished for us, amen? Uh, and so, <clears throat> so Jesus bore and carried away our sicknesses in the same manner, uh, using the same words that he carried our sins. That's what uh, Dr. McCrossan said. Uh, and you can't separate the two. It seems as though the, uh, when you go through the scriptures, that there's a common theme if, you, if we go over into First uh, Peter, uh, the, the, the third verse. So um, you've got Isaiah 53, you've got Matthew 8, 17, and you've got First uh, Peter 2, 24. If you look at these, these are, these are all quotes from the same uh, prophecy from Isaiah. Uh, it says here in First uh, Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live on the righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So again, uh, Peter brings out the, the connection between sins and sicknesses. Those two, those two uh, darknesses of the enemy seem to go together on a regular basis, sin and sickness, sin and sickness. Uh, and we see that in, in the healing ministry of Jesus that oftentimes, not every time, but often he would have to deal with sin prior to dealing with sicknesses. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, a lot of times people will, will uh, they, they live a life and they're just kind of living a mediocre life and, and they're kind of sick sometimes and well sometimes and sick and well and sick and well. Uh, and they, they never uh, decide to really uh, serve the Lord 100%. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not, now it's not the case with everybody, right? Some people can serve the Lord 80% and they never seem to get sick. Well, why is that? I don't know. Uh, but then other people serve the Lord 80%, you know, uh, and, and seem like they're sick all the time. Uh, and if they would commit to the Lord 100%, they could live a life free from sickness and disease. Uh, the, the, thing is, the point is, uh, it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort to serve the Lord 100%, because everybody who serves the Lord 100% can leave, live free from sickness and disease. doesn't mean that you live a perfect life without ever making a mistake, but I'm just talking about people who just don't care, right? They're just kind of living their life uh, as carnal Christians. And uh, one lady uh, went to Brother Hagen when he was a pastor uh, and was trying to get some insight about, <clears throat> about uh, both sides of her family. And she said, Brother Hagen, I have a question. You know, I, I said, I've got one side of the family who's you know, faithful to church all the time. Uh, and uh, you know, every time the doors are open, they're here. Uh, uh, and yet they're sick all the time. Uh, and I've got the other side of the family. They're in and out of church all the time, and, uh, and yet they seem to just never be sick. And he said, well, you haven't asked me a question. And she, she said, well, why is that? He said, well, I don't know, because I don't, I don't know the people, right? You, you, can't, you can't answer a hypothetical question like that. Uh, now, if you could speak to the people and know them and, and understand, you know, see, observe their life, you know, oftentimes you can tell somebody, right? I mean, usually I could talk to somebody for just a few minutes and understand why they are where they're in their life, right? Just listen to them. Oh, you know, I'm the first one to get sick. Oh, you know, I never, things never work out for me. Uh, well, okay, then, then, and they say, well, why is that? Well, you just told me why, you know, because everything you said. Uh, and so it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. He said, he said, I don't know. He said, but, he said, I would suspect uh, 
that, um, that one side of your family that's sick all the time is they hold grudges and, and, and don't uh, forgive people very often. And, and he said, uh, I suspect that the other side of your family uh, forgives quickly. And she said, you know, as a matter of fact, that, that, that's so. She said, the family that goes to church all the time, uh, she said, uh, they'll forgive you, but they'll hang on to that just as long as they can. I mean, it, it, it may take a year, five years, ten years. They will forgive you, but they're going to hang on. I mean, it's going to take them a long time to do it, right? Uh, and uh, she said, the other side of the family, uh, I mean, they may get in a, in a fight and fight each other, but five minutes later, they're, they're shaking hands and hugging necks, and, and, and they get over it real quick, right? Uh, and so they're, and they're quick to believe and quick to repent. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's Now, is that is either... Is either uh, group of people, examples that you want to follow? No, because the people, even though they're, they're quick to repent, uh, if, if, if your life is full of sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, you're, just, you're never advancing, right? Uh, you may not be getting sick, but you're not increasing in faith. You're not increasing in, in stability of the Lord. You're not increasing the wisdom of heaven. Uh, and so neither one is the example that you want to follow. But if you want to pick the things out that are good, be quick to repent, right? That's good, amen? And the other one, be faithful to go to church. <clears throat> so you can pick the good things out of their lives, but don't pick the bad things out of their lives. Well, I'm going to live like them. Uh, that, you know, I, I'm never looking for a loophole of why I can live a carnal life. Well, they're living a carnal life and seem to be getting away with it. You know, they're not really getting away with it, right? Where are they today? Go uh, take a snapshot of their life and go, come back and check on them in 10 years and see how they've improved. I can get to you, they won't be an inch further in their life. Amen. Uh, so that's, you don't want to follow that example. You pick, you, uh, okay, they're faithful to go to church. Well, I can do that. Well, they're quick to repent. I can do that. Quick to forgive. I can do that. So, you know, you pick the, you pick the best things out of everybody, add them to your life, and that's good. Amen. Uh, you don't pick the worst aspects of people and go, well, that's, that's my goal is to be just as bad as them. <laughs> that would not make any sense, right? Uh, and so, so uh, uh, let's see, we're going to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 8 again. So we're going to bounce back and forth from Matthew chapter 8. And Isaiah 53 here, uh, again, so uh, he wants to bring another aspect of it. So what he's doing, he's kind of disassembling uh, these, uh, these verses here and looking at specific words and finding them. Uh, and, and so the next thing he wants to put, uh, pull out is uh, the word hour here. So back in Matthew 8, 16, it says, When evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And again, back in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In verse 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, and so again, uh, in verses 4 and 5, he's using our for both sicknesses and transgressions. Amen? So, so you did have sicknesses, you did have transgressions, and Jesus carried uh, both of them. So uh, if, he, if he takes our transgressions today, just like First Peter says, just like Matthew eight seventeen says, if he took our iniquities today, then he's also taking our sicknesses today. Amen? Uh, and, and, and so, you know, all of these things are important for us to know. Uh, and and, and these, these three verses, Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24, 
Those are three good verses to know that little rabbit path, right? That's a very short rabbit path. But if you know that, you can see how the Lord always connects sicknesses and diseases, uh, uh, sicknesses and uh, sins together uh, in these verses. And if he dealt with one of them, then he dealt with the other one too. Amen? Uh, And so, because... Most of the church, you know, most of the Christian church, you know, just when I'm talking about just, I'm talking about a normal Christian church, you've got some strange people on the, on the fringes of the church, but most of the church believes that Jesus died for our sins. Amen? Uh, any real Christian person would, would know that Jesus died for our sins. But they may fight you over Jesus dying for our sicknesses. And yet, the, the Bible oftentimes put those two things together, right? Remember in Psalm that... that uh, uh, don't forget the, the benefits of the Lord, right? Who took our, uh, took our diseases, uh, who took uh, our sins and healed all our diseases. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you see that, that combination of those two oftentimes in doctrine. And the Lord did that on purpose because everybody believes Jesus died for our, sin, for our sins, but uh, only a small percentage of the church, I mean, it's probably only 10, 10 20% of the church believes that Jesus died for our sicknesses, which is really odd to me because these are not obscure verses, right? Verses that are not used anywhere else. You know, the prophecy of Isaiah is a big prophecy. Isaiah 53 is a big prophecy of the Lord. And most churches will teach on that at some point in time. And yet they ignore the the, the healing portion of, of those prophecies, which to me it just seems really odd, amen, that people would do that. Uh, and, and, of course, I, fortunately, I got involved in the church not knowing that people didn't believe the Bible. I just assumed everybody would believe the Bible. You know, if it's in there, it seemed like we, seemed like we should believe it, right? I, I know that's really naive. Uh, it, it's not naive, but it, in one sense it is because a lot of the church doesn't believe that, uh, these things. And, and I just think it's just, I just think it's odd, right? Uh, and so uh, the, he, he mentions that the Greek word for our sicknesses in Matthew eight seventeen literally says the infirmities of us or the sicknesses of us. So it's just a little bit different way of, of looking at it. And he brings out and he, he goes through uh, other verses here looking again at the word our, right? So, so whose sins are they? Whose sicknesses are they? They're our sins, right? They belong to us, the sicknesses of us. Uh, and of course, you know, from that perspective, that's fine. I encourage you whenever you're talking about anything that your body is dealing with, don't own that sickness, right? Don't say my arthritis or my bursitis or my McGillicuddy switch or whatever it is that you're dealing with. Don't own that, right? You say, well, my body is dealing with this or I am dealing with that. That's fine. Uh, But don't ever own it because uh, it's common, especially in our society, for for people to almost uh, treat their sickness and disease like a pet. And it's almost something they become, it's like a badge of honor. Oh, you feel bad? I feel even worse than you do. And it becomes a, 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 an effort of competition to compete who can get to the bottom first, right? You think you feel bad. I feel twice as bad as you do. Uh, and so uh, don't ever compete uh, in, in who's got the worst sickness or disease and don't ever own it, right? It comes from the pit of hell. It came from the, literally from the devil. And so you don't want to have any part of that. Uh, but from a doctrinal standpoint, in studying these things, it's fine, right? So he, so he brings out a few cases of the word our here and how um, th- this is talking about the same thing. So in First, uh, first Corinthians 15, 3, it says, For I delivered unto you the, the first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, or the sins of us, according to the Scriptures. Uh, 
Um, and again, in First Peter 2.24, we mentioned that, whose own self bear our sins, right? So these sins that were sins of us, our sins, they belong to us. So he bear those sins. Uh, in 1 John 4.10, it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or the sins of us. Uh, and so uh, they, they could have used different words if they wanted to, right? Between our sicknesses and our sins, uh, but they didn't, right? Uh, and so this is why it's helpful to look at uh, find a word like our, find a word like more, find a word like carry, and see how it's used throughout the scriptures. And that's really what he's doing here. He's looking at the word our uh, and uh, seeing what was owned by uh, our. And in this case, he's looking at the uh, cases where it talks about our sins. And it's always the literal translation of the sins of us. And if that's true, then the, the, the sicknesses of us is also our. Uh, and if Jesus bore one of those, then he bore both of those. So, uh, you know, these things kind of sound technical, but the, the point of, of all of this is for you to, to have a sure belief and a, and a sure foundation that these things really are so. That it's not just us pontificating, well, you know, we, we think God did these things for us. Well, it's not what we think, it's what the Word of God clearly uh, uh, describes on our behalf that Jesus did these things for us. Amen? Uh, and so, and of course, some people say uh, that, well, these things are not for us today, right? Matthew's not for us today. Isaiah's not for us today. And he brings out this point. He later on uh, goes into a long dissertation about this, but he brings out the point from the book of James, chapter 1, where it says, uh, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes with a scattered abroad greeting. So there are plenty of people in, in, the script, uh, in the church today that will dismiss large portions of the word of God that they say, well, they no longer apply to us. And they say, well, for example, the Old Testament doesn't apply to us because we're a New Testament. But the, what they're missing is, you know, I mean, Galatians chapter 3 says that we are son, the sons of Abraham. Amen. So if we are the sons of Abraham, <clears throat> then, then it means there's got to be some tie to the Christian back to the Old Covenant. Amen? It wasn't that the Old Covenant was completely thrown out. <clears throat> it was uh, that the New Covenant is a continuation of the blessings and an improvement of the blessings of the Old Covenant. Uh, and, but if there's blessings of the Old Covenant, like healing the uh, Exodus 15, 26 says that he is the Lord, our healer. Well, well, how much better could that be in the New Testament? Well, I mean, it can't be any better than he's our healer, right? And so that's a continuation. It never ended because we are children of Abraham. We have the same covenant that God has. It's a better covenant, but it's a continuation of the covenant. He didn't throw away and, and say, well, I'm going to throw away all the blessings of the, of the first covenant and just give you fewer blessings of the new covenant. Uh, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 8 says that we have a better covenant based upon better promises. So if you have uh, a promise like the old covenant that we are, our sins are atoned for, well, we have a better covenant that says our sins are washed away. Uh, well, that's better, right? Just being painted over is fine, but being stripped of it all entirely and put a whole new uh, coat of paint on there is better, amen? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's more work to, to remove it all and to put a whole new paint job on it than it is to just paint over the old paint. Amen? And so 
there are things that are definitely better, but, uh, you know, Galatians 3.13 says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, but what does it, what it, what does it not say? That, what have we not been redeemed from? The blessings of the law, right? The promises of the law, the good things of the law. So if there are good things of the law, then uh, those belong to us unless we can find where it's a better one, like we said, atonement, right? Atonement versus redemption. That's better, right? That's an improvement, uh, and so uh, we'll take that. But if he, if he is the Lord, our healer, if he is Jehovah Rapha, our healer, well, you can't really improve upon that. That's pretty good, amen? Uh, and he didn't. He didn't improve upon that. He just continued that from the old covenant through the gospels to the new covenant. It's continual. It never ended, amen? Because it's a blessing of, of Abraham, not one of the curses of, of the law. Uh, and so, uh, but to do away with that, oftentimes people will say, well, that portion of the scripture no longer is applicable to us. The gospels, because it, wasn't, it was before the cross, and so it doesn't apply to us. The Old Testament, it was before the New Testament, so it doesn't apply to us. And they throw the entire thing out because they don't want to deal with some of these verses. Uh, and, and, so, and they do that all the time, right? First uh, John 1, 9 says, if, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is that true? Well, sure it is. But there's a big movement in the church. Uh, even today still, it says, First John was not written to the church. And yet everywhere it says, my beloved, my beloved. Aren't you the beloved of God? We are the beloved of God. So, so well, why, why, why do they say that? Because they, they're trying to say that the church does not need to repent. That's the dumbest thing ever. I mean, there are, there are people who actually believe as a, as a Christian they never sin. Really, you believe that? Oh, yeah. Because in their mind, they see there's a whole group of the church. And it's a, these are large groups of people. This is not one guy, right? I mean, you always get one guy, you know, down at Bojangles who's talking stupid things. You always got a guy like that, right? But I'm talking about major uh, moves of, of the church, right? Big portions of the church who believe these things uh, because uh, what they do is they start, with, they start with a premise that's wrong. And then they have to back that up by having more wrong. And so they start with a premise that if you sin, you go to hell. Okay, let's assume that's true. It's not true, but let's assume that's true as a Christian, right? As a Christian. Let's assume that's true. And so therefore... Uh, you don't ever sin. And if you don't ever sin, then it means you never need to repent. And if you never need to repent, then we've got to get rid of 1 John all entirely. Right? So that's how they get to that point, right? Well, well the, you know, they're way down here, six miles down the road in their doctrine, because the, their first step was in the wrong direction. You, you ever headed somewhere? Uh, you know, you, uh, you got the GPS says, you know, head, head south on, on whatever street on 3rd Avenue, and you don't know which way south is, Right? And so you don't know, right? So, you know, the first, it's, it's always the first 10 feet and the last 10 feet that's the hardest to do on, on these directions, right? And so the first 10 feet, because it doesn't know really which way you're going, you just have to guess. Well, let's go this way. And, and, and you know, 10 seconds of driving says rerouting. Please make a U-turn. Why? Because you started off on the wrong foot. And if you continue there, you'd never get to where you're going. Uh, and so, and that's what a lot of people do with their doctrine. They start with the answer, well, if, if I sin, then I go to hell as a Christian, sin of any kind, and so therefore, I never sin. And if I never sin, I never need to repent. If I never need to repent, then any verse that tells me to repent, it's not just 1 John 1, 9, but there's lots of verses in the New Covenant that say that, then we've got to get rid of the whole, whole book. Well, that's just, that's such poor, uh, uh, poor studying of the Word of God. And people do that all the time. They say, well, these, these verses don't apply to us. And that way they don't have to deal with 
uh, deal with these things. I <laughs> said one minister one time, they said, you know, I, I don't avoid difficult things. You know, a lot of, a lot of ministers just avoid difficult, difficult verses. And so I'm going to, let's read this verse right here. I'm not going to avoid it. And, and uh, he read the verse, uh, and, and um, he was trying to figure out what happens, you know, like before the flood or after the flood. Uh, and he goes, see? He said, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> so he didn't avoid it, but he didn't answer it either, right? And so <laughs> I guess that's one way to do it. And, and, and to be honest, there's a lot of things I don't know, right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, what, ha- what happened here and there? You know, there's things we just don't know. The, the Word of God doesn't tell us, amen? Uh, like, where did, uh, you know, there's no real... There's no real consensus on where demons came from, right? Uh, where they possess people. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of ideas about it. Uh, some that are, are, are probably better, uh, better uh, explanations of others. But we don't really know for sure where they came from. Are they the falling angels? Were they something else, you know? Uh, uh, we don't really know because the Bible doesn't give us some insight. We have some ideas about it. Uh, what was the world like before the flood? We don't know that either, right? Uh, we have some hints or ideas of things. What was the, the world like before God created uh, Adam and Eve? Was there a world before God created Adam and Eve? Well, there seems to be. Uh, so we don't really know. And, and you can't be super dogmatic about it. Some people say, oh, this is the way. It, they'll, they'll state it like it's fact. Well, I don't want to state it like it's fact because we don't know. Because there are some things we can't state like fact. That, that, did Jesus become sin for us? Well, yeah, because that's what it says. It clearly states that. It's not ambiguous. It clearly states that. Uh, so you can say with, with all the surety that Jesus became sin for me. Uh, but then uh, did Adam have a belly button? Well, probably not. But, you know, you're going to argue about that? You know, I'm not going to argue about it. Uh, and so, so some people will say uh, that <clears throat> uh, they'll dismiss entire portions of the Word of God. And, and, and he brings that out in this particular point. And like I said later on, he, he goes out and, and makes a good case and Jesus uses James as an example, but you can use that as an example. And any time somebody says, well, that entire book of the, of the New Testament is no longer for us today. Uh, and that entire book of the Old Testament is not for us today. Uh, and yet he never redeemed us from the blessings of the law. Amen. So if there's a blessing of the law, you own it. It's part of your covenant uh, as a child of Abraham. Amen. In fact, we're more children of Abraham because we're children of faith then, you know, the, 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 the true children of Abraham are the people of faith. Amen. <clears throat> there are Jewish people of faith. There are, right? There are Jewish people who became Christians. Uh, and, and when they became a Christian, they became more a child of Abraham than they were because of their physical lineage. Uh, and so, so he makes a case there. And then he goes through uh, and just mentions some, uh, a few people's uh, comments about uh, uh, these verses here uh, and so he reads from uh, A.J. Gordon he gives a reference there uh, and A.J. Gordon said that the yoke of his cross by which he lifted our iniquities took hold also of our diseases uh, and again that, that's important to remember that uh, what, whatever he did with our iniquities and our sins is what he also did with our diseases he entered into mysterious sympathy with our pain <clears throat> and it's mysterious because how did he do that? Well, I don't know how did he become sin for us? I don't really know. But he took, uh, entered into mysterious sympathy with our pain, which is the fruit of sin, which is, which is generally true, right? Uh, now, all sickness is not all of your sickness. Again, I'm not trying to get you to own it, but all the sickness you are dealing with is not a result of you committing a sin. Amen? But all the sickness that exists in the earth today came about because of somebody's sin. Amen? A lot of it because of Adam's sin. 
And so there was no sickness before there was sin. <clears throat> uh, and uh, I think was it uh, uh, Dr. Yeomans uh, or maybe in Lester Summerall that, that sickness is the offspring uh, of sin. Uh, and so uh, he, he entered into the mysterious sympathy with our pain, which is the fruit of sin, also put himself underneath our pain, which is the penalty of sin. Uh, in other words, the, the passage seems to teach that Christ endured vicariously or uh, in substitution our diseases as well as our iniquities. Uh, and so, you know, to me, that, that's a little weak sauce there, right? Uh, it's just, in other words, the passage seems to teach. It doesn't seem to teach to me. It seems like it absolutely teaches these things, right? That he puts these two things together, sin and sickness, and whatever he did for one, he did for the other. And everybody believes what he did for sin, so whatever he did for sin, he, he bore it, took it away, and, uh, and experienced it on our behalf uh, for both sin and sickness. Uh, he quotes from another minister there, Andrew Murray, that said, It is, it, it is, not, said, uh, it is not said only that the Lord's righteous servant hath borne our sins, but also that he hath borne our sicknesses. That's true, right? Thus bearing our sicknesses forms an integral part of the Redeemer's work as well as bearing our sins. Uh, and, and that's, uh, to me, it's a good statement that, that whatever he did with sins is what he also did with sickness, and that's a big part of the work of redemption. It wasn't a side job, wasn't an unimportant thing. It was a big deal, right? Because he made it a big enough deal to prophesy about it, uh, to, <clears throat> to show us by example of it in, in the book of Matthew, and to reiterate it in the epistles in 1 Peter 2.24. So uh, these things are, are, are an integral part of the Redeemer's work. The body and soul have been created to serve together as a habitation of God. The sickly condition of the body is, as well as that of the soul, a consequence of sin. And that is what Jesus is come to bear, to expiate and to conquer or to bear uh, in uh, substitution for us is what the word expiate means there. Uh, and so it's interesting, you know, even though uh, Andrew Murray said this, and I don't know when, it, when it, this was written, this is many years ago, um, that oftentimes, especially 100 years ago or more, uh, people would use the word soul oftentimes, and they didn't really have the, the revelation of the difference between soul and spirit. And they would kind of lump them all together and, and even uh, many times would say that there's no distinction between soul and spirit, even though we know there's a great uh, distinction between soul and spirit. And so even where he said that, that, uh, um, uh, that God uh, dealt with this in our soul, he really should be mentioning our spirit man, amen, because it's your spirit man that needed to be reborn, not your soul. Your soul is not reborn, your soul is renewed, amen, day by day. Uh, and so, not a big deal. You know, if you read these things in context, it's, you can understand these things. You don't have to throw, away, throw the baby out with the bathwater. The last one, A.B. Simpson uh, said that, Therefore, as, as he hath borne our sins, Jesus Christ has also borne away and carried off our sicknesses. So however he did our sins is exactly the same way that he did our sicknesses. And that's a true statement, right? That's what we see from the word born and carried in Isaiah 53 and the word our there also in, in, um, uh, in those verses there. That, so whatever he did for our sins, he also did for sicknesses, yea, and even our pains, so that abiding in him we may be fully delivered from both sickness and pain. Now, I like that he brings that out because uh, <clears throat> a lot of people deal with pains, right? And especially as they get older, 
uh, that deal with pains. Uh, and uh, the Lord said he dealt with pains, right? Because uh, pains usually comes from some underlying sickness. And they may not be terminal in the sense that you're going to die from a toe ache or die from uh, your bones aching, but it's annoying. Amen? And um, you want to be annoyed the rest of your life, right? You don't want to be annoyed the rest of your life. Uh, and so uh, you, you can say just as well uh, that he dealt with your sickness, he dealt with your pains. Thus by his stripes we are healed. Blessed and glorious burden bearer. That's what he, he mentions of Jesus. Blessed and glorious uh, is the burden bearer. <clears throat> uh, and so, uh, uh, well, we still got a, a couple minutes here there. So then, so then he goes on to, uh, uh, let's go over to, uh, for, to 1 Peter 2.24, and he does a little bit of uh, deep dive in these verses here. So, uh, you know, Dr. McCrossan, his whole point is, is he's wanting to really attack all the opportunities for doubt and unbelief that much of the church tries to instill through bad doctrine. <clears throat> uh, and so he's attacking a lot, a lot of these avenues that people have said that, well, you know, you can't believe that, right? And, and they'll just make these statements like that. Well, you can't believe that Jesus heals you today based on what doctrine? What's the foundation for that statement? There is no foundation for that statement. And so a lot, a lot of times he's, bring, he's bringing out these things here. Uh, so he, again, he starts out with the quote uh, of 1 Peter 2.24, whose own self bear our sins in his own body of the tree, that we be in debt to sin, should live on the righteousness by whose stripes uh, you were healed. Uh, and he brings up the word stripes there uh, in uh, 1 Peter 2.24 also means uh, the word bruise and that uh, there are two things that Peter uh, mentions here that Christ bore our sins on the cross and that <clears throat> by his stripes or literally bruises you were healed. So, th- so that implies there was some uh, infliction of pain upon Jesus in order to, to pay for the healing of your body. Uh, well, nobody would argue that Jesus didn't suffer uh, pains on the cross, right? And if you think about it, um, you know, everything Jesus did on the cross was for a purpose. Uh, you know, it, 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 there's nothing that he did that was like, well, I didn't have anything else to do, so I just did that. You know, no, there was, everything he did was for a reason, amen? So he allowed himself to be bruised, right, to, to, be, uh, uh, to be beaten, and to suffer for us with stripes for a reason. Amen? Well, what reason would there be for him to suffer these bruises? Well, it says, he says he did this so that you can be healed, just like he shed blood. Did he have to shed blood? He didn't have to shed blood, but he said, well, if I do shed blood, I'm going to use that blood that was shed, and I'm going to wash away your sins. I'm going to pay for your sins. So why did he go to the cross? Well, because if he goes on the cross, then he's cursed. Uh, and so, because it says uh, uh, in Galatians 3.13, it curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. So he, he specifically hung on a cross. You know, he could have just been beaten in, in prison. He could have shed blood in prison. He didn't have to go to the cross, you know, to do everything. Uh, I'm not trying to, to make, you know, heresy here. I'm just saying that it, it wasn't an accident that he went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? So he could be a curse. Uh, and so, uh, so that covered any curse that you find under the old covenant that he became a curse for us. So, so everything he did, there was a reason for it. Amen. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Well, why did they put the thorn of crowns on him? So that we could have peace. Amen. 
we can live at peace. You know? And so he suffered that, right? And nothing he did was an accident. It wasn't, he was never a victim. And it, it, you should never see Jesus as a victim of, you know, people, uh, you know, some of the Crusades back, you know, a thousand years ago, we were going to go attack Jerusalem because they murdered Jesus. Jesus was not a victim. He did it by knowledge, amen? He did it by choice. Uh, and so you can't hold the Jews responsible. You can't hold the Romans responsible for killing Jesus. Uh, in fact, it was by the will of the Father that all those things happened. Yeah, the individuals, I mean, you could hold that individual responsible, just like Jesus said for, for um, Judas, it would have been better, he's a son of perdition, it would have been better if he hadn't been born. Well, he held Judas responsible for that. He, he didn't hold the rest of the Jewish nation responsible for turning him in at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Because all the other people were also Jewish that were in his ministry. Uh, they weren't guilty because of what one man did. And so, you know, a lot of people do things. And it's really dumb because the entire first church was all Jewish people. Uh, and, and really, if the leadership had just snuck on in and became Christians too, uh, there would be no distinction between Jews and Christians today. Amen. It was always the intent of the Lord that the Jewish nation became the Christian nation. And then they became the Christian uh, evangelists of the world. It was the Lord never intended for the, to remain a Jewish nation, right? Uh, he intended just like uh, there there was no Jewish nation, and Abraham was converted from a Gentile into a Jewish person, uh, and then uh, the Lord intended for Abraham then to move on and get the fulfillment of everything and become a Jewish person to become a Christian person. It was always supposed to be a progression for all, all of history. Uh, and, you know, so some of the Jews are a little slow. There are a lot of Jewish people who become Christians. Uh, and so I'm not mad at any Jewish person uh, because we, we, we contain the same heritage, amen? We serve the same God, same Jehovah God. Uh, they're just a little slow, right? And so hopefully we'll pray for them to get, to get caught up, amen? Uh, and so, so none of these things that Jesus did uh, was an accident. So we'll pick this up uh, uh, next week about uh, his, he's kind of dissecting First uh, Peter 2.24 there uh, and understanding some more details on that. And again, pulling it back from Isaiah. But um, um, again, all of these things uh, are, uh, his, his desire is to get us to where uh, we confront all the, the doubt and unbelief that people try to attack uh, sound doctrine with and show how none of it makes any sense, right? And, uh, and so you don't have to be able to quote all these things, but it should strengthen your faith. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm absolutely convinced more than ever that 1 Peter 2.24 is for me today, that by his stripes I am healed. Uh, and that's really, if you can get to that point, that's really where, where you should be. That, that should be part of the goal of reading these things and um, understand the, the arguments that, that Dr. McCrossan here is making. Amen. Uh, Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. And, Father, we thank you that it's a sure word. And if you promise that uh, by your stripes we, we are healed, Father, uh, then that's just as true today as when you first quoted it to Peter uh, centuries ago. And so, Father, you are the Lord who heals us. We live in divine health because of your word, because of your spirit and what you paid for us uh, on the cross. And, Father, this was not a small thing. These are great and mighty things you did on our behalf. Uh, and so the innocent should not have suffered on the cross like you did. And yet you chose to suffer, Father. And every, every, every single uh, minutia of suffering that you did on the cross was for my benefit. There was nothing wasted, Father. There was no suffering that you did that didn't add value to my life. 
And so I thank you for that, Father. We give you praise and honor for these in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Let's get ready to receive this afternoon's offering. You know, for me, when I hear people say that Jesus, uh, that healing is not for us today, to me, it diminishes the work of the cross. They're saying that the cross, that some of the things that Jesus did on the cross was a waste of time. There's no value in Jesus suffering on the cross. It's like, well, you go suffer then, you know. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's just sad that people would, 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 would throw away such a great thing he did for us, such a spectacular and painful thing that he did on my behalf, as if it was nothing. Amen? Uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. <clears throat> and um, uh, I don't know, I, I just, I wonder if people... Maybe they don't fear God like I fear God. I just, uh, I just, I just can't imagine saying something like that. That you know, when God doesn't want us to be healed today, you mean the God that loves us, that loves us more than anything, that would do anything on our behalf, He doesn't want to heal my body? I mean, have you met the same God I've met? I mean, if you ever met Him, you'd, you'd know He'd want to be a blessing to you. Amen. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to understand you know people's concept in those things. Amen. I know they do. But it's, it's, I look at him like, did, did you trip and fall and bump your head? I mean, are you okay? Do you need an aspirin or something? I mean, there seems like there's something wrong. Are you okay? You know, I mean, I really, you know, I really wonder about uh, Christians, you know, ministers, you know, people of good, of good conscience, you know, sincere people believe these things that God does not, God does not want to heal you. Yeah. And he, he began to think that he was Jesus. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, he wrote that great song, you know, uh, and now I'm kind of losing that. <laughs> 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 uh, it's not how great they are. Well with my soul. It is well, yeah. He wrote that song and he thought he was. And then later in his life, he began to think that he was the Christ. Really? Yeah. People he are just dumb. Yeah. Uh, in the old Congregational Methodist Church. Yeah. And in his late life, he laid in the nursing home. I went to visit him once, and I couldn't believe the language coming out of him. Really? How, how's that? I don't understand how that um, Well, you know, I think the biggest problem with that is people like that have no friends. Because <laughs> if they had one friend, somebody's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said. I've ever heard. Shut up. Don't ever say that again, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, my wife, my friend, if I ever said something like that, she'd shut up. Go to your room. Don't ever say that again, right? <laughs> She'd straighten me up in a heartbeat, right? And so people like that, I wonder, they must not have a single friend in their life, right? It's like you go to the, you see these singing competitions, right? They say, my mama told me I could sing. And you hear them, it's like, your mama lied. She lied to you. She doesn't love you at all. Told you you could sing. You can't sing at all, right? And uh, you wonder people just don't, because if they had friends, you know, really close friends, surely their friends would say, don't ever say that again, right? That's the dumbest thing bury that, throw that away, don't ever believe that or say that again, right? And so clearly they just got no friends, I guess, I don't know, you know, uh, but we, we hear lots of stories like that, uh, especially ministers who start thinking that there's somebody, you know, something, it's like, you know, you're made out of dirt, right? I mean, when you, go, when you die, you're going to turn back to dirt, uh, and the little worm's going to be there crawling through your dirt, and you're going to be dirt, right? And so, I don't know, I don't know, you know, so of course that happened with uh, 
uh, William Branham uh, a long time ago, right? And um, uh, John Alexander Dowie, who, who uh, William Branham followed John Alexander Dowie, wore the big Pope hat, you know, I'm, I'm Elijah, you know. Like, You're not Elijah. You're Bob, right? <laughs> and so, uh, I don't know. It happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it just, uh, I think, you know, uh, our lives are always a life of temperance, right? Moderation and constraint. Uh, keeping your mind in constraint, keeping your thoughts in constraint. And I think people, they lose that ability to constrain those thoughts, and those thoughts just start going, you know, everywhere and, and come up with the craziest ideas. Uh, and you have to guard that, amen, to keep those things from happening, because if you're not careful, you get delusions of grandeur that you're something that you're not, right? Uh, and, uh, and it's unfortunate to see that. Uh, or, you know, uh, instead of putting off the old man like Ephesians tells us, they hide him until they can no longer contain the old man, which is probably what happened to your friend, right? He was always a cusser, uh, but he just hid it all those years, right? Uh, and, and instead of dealing with it, right? Yeah. And maybe like you say, he might have been a cusser in his childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Before he got saved. And he might have just suppressed that instead of removing it, right? You're supposed to remove those things, but a lot of people like bite a nail, but they never get rid of biting the nail, right? They're always they're always biting a nail and, and so they don't say it, but inside they're saying it, right? And you gotta get to where you don't ever bite a nail. That's that's the goal. But uh, he didn't come to our church and we could have helped him with that, right? <laughs> well be blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.